welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. So you could always tell the concerns of others by what they pray for. When you hear someone pray, you could kind of tell, hey, this is what's on their mind. This has got to be important. Well, in our passage today, Paul concludes the first section, chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, with a prayer. And it's a prayer to God the Father for the saints, that is the believers in Ephesus. And the prayer is a continuation of his prayer at the end of chapter 1 because it carries the same themes. And so let's read it together, Ephesians three fourteen through 19. And then next week, Sam is going to be preaching on the doxology, which is verses 20 through 22. But tonight we're just going to be looking at Paul's prayer, which is summarized into three parts. There is the address. The appeal and adoration. Sam's got adoration. We're going to look at the address and the appeal tonight. It says this. This is our text for tonight. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father God, please. May this word, this prayer that is meant for us, fill us and encourage us tonight and point us towards Christ and produce faith in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul longs for the believers at Ephesus, for the church to be strengthened and filled by God, strengthened or empowered by God and filled by the love of God. Those are his two concerns, which is pretty telling. That Paul, he's in prison. He could be praying for a lot of different things for the church. But if he could summarize the most important needs for the church, it's that they would be empowered, strengthened, and filled with the love of Christ. Why those two things? Because... When the church is empowered by God and filled with the love of God, it will display, verse 10 in chapter 3, the reason which is that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That a church that is filled with the love of Christ and is empowered by the Holy Spirit, it proclaims not only to the world, but also to the heavenly realms who is the king. 
That's why Paul is praying for these two things. And also because when a church is empowered by the Holy Spirit and is filled with the love of God, they are a witness. They bear witness to Christ, the mystery of Christ, to the world, which is chapters 4 through 6. So this is why this is an important section. And so the opposite then is true of churches and people who are not depending on the power of God and are not filled with his love. What do you think that produces in our culture or in a church or in your life? Without these power and love, ongoing sin will abound. Your entanglement in sin will only continue. The hostility you have towards God and others will Continue strife will abound in the church. Despair will only continue. And empty religion and powerless rituals will be produced. This is life without the power and love of God. Yesterday, around 3 p.m., three people walked into the church um, looking for seeking a blessing from a priest. They thought it was a Roman Catholic church. And so I was the only pastor available at the time. And so this woman, she came right up to me. I could tell that she was gripped by fear. And she was claiming to be oppressed or being, yeah, oppressed or indwelt by demons. That there is a demonic presence in her house. And and so she's coming. She needs to be washed with holy water and blessed with a priest. And a priest to come to their house to pray blessing over over their house. And so she's coming, thinking it's a Roman Catholic institution, and it's not. <laughs> and so I'm like, why don't you come into my office uh, so we could talk here? And she was not in the right mind, this woman. She was gripped by fear, and her brother and her mother who were with her were at a loss. They did not know what to do for her. They did not know how to help Jessica. That was her name. All that they knew was that some power had overtaken her. Or had been causing fear in her life. And that they needed a greater power to overcome what was going on. They were weak. They were spiritually broken. They were at a loss with what to do. And that's Paul's concern with the church in Ephesus. And it's my concern with you. That many of you, you come here entangled and ensnared and maybe at a loss. Are you at a loss when it comes to... Obeying, honoring, and respecting your parents. You just, you fail over and over and over again. You do not have the power. You feel like you don't have the power to actually do it. Or maybe you come in here and you're just ready to give up and to give in into whatever sexual temptation comes your way because it's just too overpowering. There's no way you could fight it anymore. See, what you and I need and what Jessica needed to destroy Any and every sin and stronghold in our lives is three things. To be humbled, empowered, and filled. And those are the three things we see in the text. That if what constitutes a strong and healthy or a a person who is growing in Christ, number one, they are first humbled by power. They are first humbled by power. In our text, it says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Our passage starts with Paul literally kneeling in humble adoration. So that posture is a posture of humility. It's a, it's a posture that what subjects do to kings. 
is they bow before them. And Paul is bowing in recognition recognition of the all-powerful one. And so that's where point number one comes by. He is humbled by the power of God. The all-sustaining namer of all creatures in heaven and earth. And to kneel was not the typical posture of prayer. You might think that it was back in those days. But actually the typical posture to pray in the early church was standing. And they would stand and they would not bow their heads. They would not close their eyes. They would stand and they would raise up their hands like this. I actually have paintings and and a book on church history that I have. That's how they would pray. They would lift holy hands. They would pray to the Lord. And so when Paul says, I bow my knees, he's making a statement. And it's not really a statement of how holy he is, but really how weak he is before a holy and mighty God. That he is humbled. He's recognizing that power does not come from him. And so why? Why does he get low? Why does he bow? What causes him to pray? He says, for this reason. But what reason is it? What is the cause of this humble prayer? Well, the reason is literally everything that has come before this passage in Ephesians. He's humbled by God's sovereign power to unite all things in Christ. He's humbled by the fact that God would save dead, wicked sinners he was dead he was lost he was estranged he was separated he was alienated he was despairing he he was far from god he was once satan's child just as you were believer ephesians 2 all these things what i just read that by grace you have been saved through it is these things that are causing a posture of humility it is for these reasons why he is going to pray He's humbled by God's grace. Does God's grace humble you? It's interesting when you ask yourself the question, what causes me, what, re, what are the reasons why I go to God in prayer? Usually, it's a need that you have. Not, not, I'm not dogging on that, but it's usually particularly a need that you have, help that you, that you need from God. Maybe you're caught in a predicament. But does the grace of God manifested in Christ, this amazing love that God has shown to us in Christ in the gospel, does that ever drive you to your knees in prayer? That's the first thing is he is humbled by God's grace. That salvation is, it has nothing to do with him or us, but everything to do with God. The second thing, why, why Paul is, is humbled by power is that he's humbled by God's power that adopted him as a child. You see this in the text. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the, what does it say? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That should cause you to pause. That is enough reason to move you to your knees in thanksgiving and gratitude. That God who should be your judge, believer, is now your Father. How can this be? We who are sinners can have access to the holy God and yet not only access but call him father. It is only by grace that those who are saved are adopted and now have access to a father. And what what a comfort. And this truth alone is what drives Paul to his knees. For this reason, because I have a father in heaven who loves me. And there's a reverential awe and and fear, but then also a, a holy confidence that he could come before God because he is his father. 
The word father is a title of endearment, a title of reverence. It, It connotates, it illustrates nearness, right? When Eden goes, dada, dada, and she calls out for me because she knows that I will come and I will hear and I will listen, which she just started doing, which is really sweet. It's a term of endearment. Or when you go to Israel today, and if you were to hang out with a family, you would see their kids, they would go, Abba, 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 Abba. It means father. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit produces in, in us, is that we want to cry out, Abba, Father. That we have this access to God. And this is reason to bow our knees before him, to go before him, to go to him. And in fact, Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, well, how does he teach us? How, how should we start the Lord's prayer? Our God, our Jehovah, our Lord, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why our Father? The Heidelberg Catechism answers that question saying this, Christ commands us to address God by our Father so that immediately... In the very beginning of our prayer, he might excite in us a childlike reverence for and confidence in God. I love that language. That the, the, the fact that we could call God our Father should excite you and with a childlike awe and a, give you a confidence to go to him. Which is the foundation of our prayer, namely that God is become our Father in Christ Jesus. And just like our earthly fathers, they do not refuse us the things of this life that we need. And so how much more, God our Father, will he even less refuse to give us what we ask of him? I love that answer. He's humbled by God's sovereign plan to unite all things in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel of grace. He's humbled by the power of God that he is an adopted child. He could call him his father. And he's humbled by God's sovereign power over all. I love what he says. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. And who is this Father, this God? He is from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What does that mean? Paul is recognizing God the Father as the sovereign king, the ruler and sustainer and namer of all families, of all clans. In heaven, that is angels, and also on earth. And in the ancient times... To name someone meant that you had power over them. Why? Because it means that whoever's naming you is determining your identity, the core of who you are. And that's what it means. That's what brings Paul to his knees. Do you know who you're praying to? You're praying to the God of all power. And so he's humbled by power. He's recognizing that power doesn't come from us to save or to kill sin, but but from outside of us, God the Father, he's the all-powerful one. And so obtaining power that you need in your life to kill sin, to live the Christian life, to have a strong and vibrant relationship with God starts with recognizing the fact that you don't have power in yourself. That's the very beginning. You cannot save yourself. You cannot kill your sin by yourself. You cannot will yourself into heaven and you have no right or, or to gain access to God in prayer yet He gives it to you by grace. You have no control over your own life, especially the lives of every family that I've ever lived, but God does. And this gives cause for us to bend our backs and our head and our knees low to God, our King. We're first humbled by power. 
See, the main problem with the dear folks that came into our church yesterday was not that they recognized their need for power. They needed it. But that they were looking for it in all the wrong things. Jessica was looking for a priest to sprinkle holy water on her. She wore a necklace with a symbol of Christ on it, which she told me gives her protection. And when she came into my office, she was seeking immediately to touch my Bible so that it would dispel any bad energy that is around her. She just needed to touch my Bible. It's all superstition. And she said that she believed in God, but by her faith, she was demonstrating that she was placing her faith in not in God, but in these things. She needed, she knew God. She, she knew that God had the power, but she was placing her faith in trinkets, sink water, and a mere man to help her. Those things are nothing in themselves. What she needed, only God can provide. And he does. First, we're humbled by power. The second thing we need to recognize is that we're empowered by the Spirit of Christ. I love that. So Paul bows his knees before God and then he prays for the believers in Ephesus that they would be empowered by the Spirit of Christ. Now, which is it? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it Christ? <laughs> yes, okay? It's both, all right? Empowered by the Spirit of Christ and I hope to show you this. Let's continue on in our text. He says that according to the riches of his glory, that is God the Father, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That is, what that means, is I'm getting into verse 17. It says so that in your text, but it really should say that is. It means that for the spirit to come into your inner being means that Christ dwells in your heart through faith. It's the same thing. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul is praying that they be empowered by the Spirit of Christ. And in the text, it is clear, three things are clear about this empowerment. First, we are empowered by grace. We are empowered by grace. The source is not in and of ourselves. God is the one who grants us to be strengthened. In fact, I love that that's what it says, right? He says that he may grant you, he may gift you to be strengthened. And the word strengthened is actually in the passive tense. You guys know what that means, grammar? What does it mean for something to be in the passive te- tense? Anyone know? If you are passive, you are what? You're not active, right? There's the active tense and the passive tense, right? If... So for it to be passive, what that means is in order for you to be strengthened, it has nothing to do with you. You are passive. It is God who is acting upon you to strengthen you. So the empowerment does not come from you. It comes from outside of you, and it's gifted by God. The source of empowerment is God himself. So here's the application. You need strength to obey and honor and respect your parents. It's not found in you. God must give you strength. You need strength to stop looking at pornography. God must give you that strength. You need strength to leave your friends who are pushing you towards the world. It's not in you. God must give you the strength. He is the one that must empower you so that you may be strengthened through the Spirit. It's all a gift of God. God must do the work. 
And guess what? If you are in Christ and you are a believer, this is already true of you. You have the Spirit of God in you. And I love this. So we see the source. It's by grace. Now let's look at the place. Where? Where does the Spirit come and dwell? It says that we're strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, in your heart. The Holy Spirit is the all-powerful God of the universe who recreates new life from the inside out. And I love this. Notice the place where God the Father sends the Spirit to the very core of who you are. The place where you would want nowhere, no one else to see. It's the deepest part of you. God sends the Holy Spirit to purge, to cleanse, to wash, to recreate, and to make ready a home for Christ to dwell in. I love that. And when you get saved, Christ comes. And he doesn't just come one time and leaves. The Holy Spirit indwells. The Spirit of Christ indwells you. And the word dwell means a permanent presence. It it means that he's making, he, he has a new home. And that new home is your heart. You have a new homeowner. And it's Christ who dwells in you. He takes up residence in you. How? How is it that we could receive this empowerment? So we saw the source. We saw the place in our deepest parts of us, our heart. We need this. But how? Empowered by faith alone. By faith alone. This is such good news because it's nothing you have to earn. It's just by looking to Christ. By faith alone, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Works? Through faith. At this point of the story with these three in my office, you're probably wondering how I counseled them. What did I say? They were looking for a priest. They were asking me, hey, can you show me a Roman Catholic church so we could go? And you bet you believe I did not show them where to go. (laughs) Oh, no, I had them in my office and I had one job to do. And that was to apply everything that Colin taught us at defending the faith, right? And since I've been studying this passage of empowerment, right, a real empowering that this lady needed but couldn't seek to find, uh, the first thing that I did is I rebuked her in gentleness and kindness for putting her faith in these objects. Why? Why are you touching my... You don't need to touch the Bible. You need to believe the Bible. The way to receive the power of the Almighty God and all of His blessings that no earthly priest can give you is by faith alone. That's what I said, and I said it's alone. That word alone is important. Nothing else. You say that you believe, but all I'm hearing is I need to see a priest. I need to see a priest. No, you need to see the living God. That's what I told them. Not that loudly, though. (laughs) And I did it with a smile. They need to see God and Christ. They need to look to Jesus Christ alone by faith. And when you do at that very moment, something amazing happens. The very power of the living God comes and resides in you, I said. For Christ makes his residence in you. And no devil or demon or sin can reside in the same house as Christ. Can he not? Will Christ allow that? Yeah, I'm going to allow a roommate in here. Your addiction to pornography. That's fine. No. Christ is a purger of sin. And though you don't feel it, you have all the power in him 
to purge of any, any sin in your life. You won't be perfect in this life. But sin no longer has dominion over us. And so that's what happens when you look to him by faith. And also, at that very moment, you no longer become a weed rooted in sin or a haunted house founded on wickedness, but now in Christ you become a living tree rooted, it says. Isn't that what it says in our text? Rooted, two illustrations here. That, you, that being rooted and grounded, or that's like a building, a foundation for a building. That when you receive Christ Jesus, you become a living tree that grows and a building that grows. And it grows because it's founded on, or, or the soil in which it grows is the love of Christ. That is the soil by which produces growth. And the foundation that, that makes a strong, stable building is the love of Christ, rooted and grounded in love. You become united to Christ Jesus. Application then. Do you recognize your need to be strengthened? Or do you feel like you have it all figured out? Paul is praying that they would be strengthened. The people that go and buy a gym membership usually do because they recognize that they're weak and they need to go. Well, same with those who come to Christ. They recognize they are weak and there's nowhere else they can go but to become a member of Christ and his body by faith. Second application is this. Killing sin is absolutely impossible without the power that comes through the Spirit by faith alone. The same power that saved you and brought you into Christ's family is the same power that sanctifies you, that cleanses you, that you grow by that you're strengthened by. For killing sin does not require greater barriers, which are helpful, and I'm a fan. But if that's where you're putting your hope, that's not where the power lies. Not in barriers, not in rituals, but in a greater passion, a greater power that comes through a greater love. See, the reason why some of your sins you feel entangled is because you love your sin. Just simply put, And the way that you defeat sin in your life is not by barriers, but by a greater love stemming from a greater power. This is point number three. Paul prays that they would be filled by Christ's love, humbled by power, empowered by the spirit of Christ, and now filled by Christ's love. You need the power that comes through the love of Christ. They're connected Look at our text. It says this, that you be rooted and grounded in love. Why? And he's praying that, oh, church, that you may be, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I love this. Paul prays that they may know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. (laughs) It's so immense. Paul's main prayer for the people in Ephesus is my prayer for you, my prayer for this church, which is your spiritual maturity. That's what it means, that you may be filled. That's the goal, that you may be filled, made complete, filled to the brim 
with all the fullness of God. The picture is this. When they dedicated the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they dedicated the temple and the Holy Spirit descended and filled. The glory of God filled the temple. Well, now in Christ Jesus in the new covenant, the church is the new temple of God. And so Paul is praying that, that this church, that you individually and corporately would be filled with the power, the fullness of God. But how? How does that filling take place? How does that happen? Yes, through indwelling, the empowerment, which we, that's point number two, but also a corporate, this is my answer, a corporate eagerness to comprehend the love of God. A corporate eagerness. Why corporate? Because it says that he prays that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. I love that. That the growing, the process of growth in the Christian life is not primarily an individual endeavor, but a corporate one. His prayer is that the main diet of your spiritual knowledge would come from church, from being together, from the saints. And so a corporate, that is a, I'm talking about the church, a corporate eagerness to comprehend the love of Christ. There's this false dichotomy that Paul loves to destroy. And this false dichotomy maybe comes out in our church. I know it has when I'm talking to people. Paul knows that you cannot have spiritual empowerment. Like I'm talking like amazing, supernatural, Holy Spirit presence and work in a church. You cannot have that without also having a church that is eager to comprehend the doctrines of God's love. A love for theology produces an empowerment that comes by the Holy Spirit. And an empowerment of the Holy Spirit produces a love for doctrine and truth and an eagerness to want to pursue it. I love this about this prayer because that's my prayer for this church. That we wouldn't just be so consumed with being filled by the Holy Spirit to the neglect of comprehending God's love and and His truth. Or become so enamored with theology that we forget that it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates the theology and makes it real in our life. We need both. And that's Paul's prayer, that they would comprehend the multi-dimensional, infinite love of God found in the Father, manifested in the Son and experienced by the Holy Spirit. Is this your pursuit to comprehend with all the saints. Is that your pursuit in your life? I think of a, of a high-speed chase, the cop. His main pursuit, his main goal is just that he would grasp that criminal <laughs> and arrest him and take hold of. Well, Paul is praying that you would find your, that you would be eager to pursue, to grasp, comprehend, and arrest the doctrines of the love of God. That's your pursuit to seek the immeasurable riches of Christ. And he lists four different categories here. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of his love. What what does this mean? I love this. What is the breadth of his love? The breadth of the love of Christ is the wideness of his love. That you may know that Christ came to preach peace, not to those who are near, but those who are far off. The outcasts, those who are too far gone. They've run too far away like Jonah. They've run so far away. But God's love goes farther still. His love is ever wider than the furthest person away from God. His love goes wider. That's the breadth of his love. And then the length of his love. What is this length? 
It is the eternal, the, uh, the eternal nature of his love that it lasts forever. The length of his love that it has no beginning and it has no end. Ephesians 1.4 talks about that, that the love of the Father was predestined, predestined us for adoption. That if you're in Christ Jesus, he never, be, he never started loving you and he never will end loving you. Maybe you've been abandoned by people who once said, I love you in your life. And that stings. And you face rejection. And maybe you were in a premature relationship where you told someone, I love you, and they said, I love you back. Only for that love to dry out and to come to an end. And that hurts. That stings. It's a deep wound. But the length of God's love never runs dry it has no beginning it has no end you'll never have to face the pain of rejection with god he will never leave you or forsake you that's the length of his love what about the height of his love this is his exalting love that god lifts us from the muck and the mire and exalts us in the heavenly places ephesians 2 7 and many of you are tempted that the world can maybe elevate you to high places here but i promise you it will only let you down Christ can bring you to much higher heights of his love. He has much more in store for you if you trust him. And then the depths of his love demonstrate the sacrificial condescension of God from heaven to come down. The sacrificial love of Christ that he bore the, pop, the bottomless pit of God's wrath on the cross for sinners. Many of you feel you are too low. You are too depressed. You're in the pit of despair. God's love goes deeper than the deepest pit of despair for you. I love that. And we are to spend the rest of our lives comprehending those things. <laughs> we are filled by Christ's love the more that we look away from our sin and look to Christ. To be enamored by him. For this reason, I bow my knees. Oh, what love. It's so vast, it's so immense, it's, it's infinite. That is our pursuit. Filling happens when you comprehend, when you seek to grasp the love of Christ. And then it also says, he's praying that they may know the love of Christ. And that is experience the love of Christ. There's many Christians that theologically comprehend the love of Christ, but they have no experience with God's love. Sin entangles them. And this experience of God's love is the absolute death blow to all of Satan's schemes and sin's entanglement. It is the kryptonite to sin. You want to kill your sin? You must experience God's love. But how? How is it that God's love becomes an experience? That happens when you not only believe that Christ's love is amazing intellectually, but that you, that you believe that Christ's love for you is amazing for you that you realize that it's not just that God loves people but that he loves you and the perfect evidence of that is the nails in his wrist and the whip to his back and the thorns in his head and the spear to the side and the wrath of God poured out on him for you 
Do you believe that God loves you, believer? That is when the experience happens. That is when there is a greater love that produces the power to kill the sin that you love. You need a greater love, and that comes through experience God's love for you. With all your shame, with all of your wrecking of your life, with all your failures, with all your running away, with all the times you have turned your back on God, and yet He still loves you. With all of your flaws and all of your mess, do you believe that? It's easy to believe the good news is good for everyone but yourself. And that's when the true experience comes in, when you, when you see that God demonstrated his love for you in that while you are yet sinners, Christ died for you. This is the death blow. This is the kryptonite to sin. This is the power of the gospel in you by faith alone. And this is your pursuit to be humbled, empowered, and filled by the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Father God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. For this reason, we bow our heads to you, Father. We have no, what other response is there than just to bow in adoration and to praise you? Thank you, Lord for giving us the power we need to defeat sin in our lives. And though we will limp all the way to heaven, though we will struggle with sin for the rest of our lives, we can be sure that sin no longer has power over us, that there is a greater power in this world, and His name is Jesus Christ, who comes and dwells in us through faith. Oh God, may these students come to know the love of Christ and not be enamored by the fake, phony love of this world. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.